If you are not 18 years or older, go away. This is not for you. Thank you for downloading another episode. And thank you to everyone who's donated. We're now at 60% for our, our yearly goal, which I, I, I never thought it would be possible. So thank you. I'm not going to go on too much about this episode because I've gone on a lot in past episodes. But I did want to say a special thanks to Troy Orleans and, of course, everyone who's donated, especially those who donated to uh, in order to get that amazing gift that she she donated to the podcast. And several people donated like $400 to have dinner with Troy or to get a lesson from her. I, I was amazed. Thank you to everyone. Now, coming up on future episodes, uh, we have the 100th episode of the Massacast coming up. That's going to be exciting. Natasha Gornick will be returning, popular guest on the show. Raven Lightholm from the Freedom of Fetish podcast. She's going to be back on the show as well. Saad. And we have another return guest here. Someone who's very popular. Someone who we've uh, been getting a lot of emails asking for him to return. And he's back. Naylin is back on the show. And, and it's always a good conversation with him. I'm, I'm not even going to go on more about it. Let's just, uh, let's just kick it off, shall we? Uh, I was on Reddit, and someone said, "Someone said you really have to, or you should get to post to Reddit uh-huh. and, and, and advertise the podcast." I'm like, oh, I have, and I didn't do it for months, and then a friend of mine was just, "You got to do it." I'm on Reddit all the time anyway, right. so anyway, I posted. There's a BDSM community thing, and I posted on there, and in there, uh, and because someone requested, someone said, "Well, can you pick out some of the, your, your favorite episodes or something mm-hmm. like that, or so, you know, so a v- wide variety?" And I was, so I put like ten because mm-hmm. I find if someone listens to one they like. Then they'll maybe be more prone, right, right. or if they listen to something they're into first, then they'd be more prone to listen to something they're not into. Right? Mm-hmm. And yours is one of the ones I put up there. Like, mm-hmm. As far as here, good primers if you're into this or this or whatever. And yours is one of the. And uh, this guy uh, donated. He'd never heard the podcast before. Mm-hmm. Only listened to yours. Uh-huh. Donated to the the Massacast, saying if you have him back. Now keep in mind, I had already asked you back. We already had the, the really? date set. They already had the date set, and I was like, well, as a matter of fact. He's going to be coming back on the show. <laughs> but now it looks like I'm just using you because... So so I'm like pledge drive fodder. You, you, but, <laughs> That's excellent. But retroactively. Because <laughs> I had already booked you because he's like, that was great. I, you got to have him back. And he donated saying, I hope you have more people like him. I'm like, well, actually... So now it just sounds I'm like I'm being opportunistic. I, I'm, I'm totally there with it. Having been doing like a bunch of... Nonprofit fundraising recently. I'm 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 there. I'm what, what's putting... your nonprofit fundraising been? Um, I have been recently working uh, with an organization called the Pop Up Museum of Queer History. Um, it's a group of people um, based in New York, and uh, what they do is they uh, work with various um, art spaces. And when they line up a show, they commission artists to uh, make pieces and performances that examine uh, queer history. And uh, we're in the midst of, uh, we're, we're installing a show right now. They just finished a really successful show in Philadelphia. So um, the thing that's really interesting about them is that they bring together um, queer artists and queer historians and each show is completely unique so it's always like a different cast of artists it's always looking at different issues and um, and they're really grassroots and and I I have recently you know sort of decided that's where I really want to put my energy is like organizations that are you know really low to the ground well I suppose I should officially welcome you back to the show well thank you I'm I'm glad to be back. It's been really fun to see where the show's been going since the last time I was on. Plus, I think you set a high bar when you were on last. Uh, what have you been doing since you were on last, by the way? Uh, high bar and also the uneven <laughs> bars. I've been, uh, <laughs> um, what have I been doing since I've been doing last? I've been doing uh, a lot of teaching, and, um, and I've started working on a, a fairly big project. I was I was lucky enough to um, 
secure some funding this past year and got asked to produce an exhibition uh, for San Francisco. For the city? Uh, well, for um, the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts oh, wow, in okay. the city, um, which is a, a sort of nonprofit uh, museum. And I have been working on a show that's kind of specifically about them, but also about um, these ideas that I've been mulling over for the past few years, I think, about the connections between uh, the growth of performance art in the early 60s and the rise of the sexual liberation movement, and in particularly the rise of like sort of uh, kinky sexuality and kinky awareness. So how do you put that together? I mean, what, is that, what does that look like? It's that's an excellent question, and I'm in the midst of doing it right now. <laughs> it's going to look like um, an installation that gets made on site, in part in in cooperation with the people who come to view the installation, um, and uh, and then halfway through, I'm going to come back to the space and reconfigure it. So it runs from mid-October to mid-January. I'm going to spend the first two weeks of October installing it and then uh, go back in um, late November, early December and reorganize it. And so um, the, the main image that it's working with is a picture of um, San Francisco's first leather bar which was called The Toolbox. Um, the whole show is called... I don't called, know why I laughed. It just, it's, it's, a, I know. it's a great name. <laughs> it's like a great name for a bar, right? right. right? Um, the, so the whole uh, show, is, the whole exhibition is called Free Love Toolbox. Uh, the image that I'm using is of this mural that was on the, uh, on the wall behind the bar, The Toolbox. And it's a mural that depicts a bunch of um, Leathermen, sort of in silhouette. Um, the, the mural was painted by a guy named Chuck Arnett and became famous because it was the introductory photo in the first um, major uh, mainstream magazine article about gay life in the US. Hmm. Happened in 1964 in Life magazine. Wow called Homosexuality in America. And that picture, which is a big, the big introductory double spread shot inside the leather bar, is by a lot of people thought to be the first mainstream depiction of Leatherman in, you know, in U.S. history. That's cool. Yeah. And then you're going to go back and reset it? Yeah, we're going to do a... Um, uh, one of the things that we're doing is we're, we're, we're building kind of a, a little studio booth so we're going to have people record YouTube videos. We're going to try to have a, a sort of a little YouTube channel that goes with the show. Oh, cool. Uh, over the run of it. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of making a bunch of costumes and sculptures, and those are going to go back in and be reconfigured. And I'm doing some... Uh, I was actually testing out something uh, this weekend at Floating World that I'm that I'm I hope to be doing there. I mean, I've done these performances that, in many ways, are sort of like scenes, sort of like public scenes. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to be doing one uh, there, which I think is going to involve a lot of medical state, like a lot of. St a lot of stapling of ribbons onto me and connecting the ribbons with various pieces in the show. So it's sort of me in the middle of this web of all of these pieces. So this is, this might be a good question, might be bad, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Let's say if, if you're with a play partner and they say, hey, I want to staple these ribbons to you. Mm -hmm. How is your interaction with them different if you're playing with them one-on-one -on -one and if you're going to do it in an art situation where, mm -hmm. where it's uh, on display like that? Mm -hmm. Is there... Is there any difference, or is it just? Are you just going to present what it's like for both of you together? Um, that's one of the things that the show is about. I think it is really different, and and one of the reasons why we sort of wanted to test this beforehand, 
the thing that I love about about kink is that it is performance art where the audience and the performer are interchangeable. Yeah. And that each person that the the cost of admission is participation. Nobody nobody eats unless they cook. I think that that produces inherently a very different emotional relationship to what's going on and is very connected to what I'm seeing as this kind of you know sexual revolution of the of the 60s and 70s. Yes, I it's there there's a way that this activity of these things getting stapled to me can become kind of spectacular and alienated um, if it's a bunch of people sitting around watching it happen to me. Yeah. Um, and what I would do in relationship to that, I think is kind of different. One of the things I learned, I mean, this is the first time that I'd done staples mm-hmm. and it was very clear that having them placed um, in certain parts of me provoke this kind of emotional reaction. Um, the fact that I was doing it with, um, with, Lolita in a space that was like a play space um, meant that uh, I sat in that emotion. Yeah. You know, and we both sort of acknowledged it and both, you know, worked with what was happening with it. If it had been in a performance situation, odds are that I would have sort of powered through it. Yeah. It's like, oh, the idea is that there's going to be this many staples, so we're not all the way there yet, so we're just, we're, we're, I'm just going to do it. Right. You know, if that takes me disassociating, whatever. I also noticed, too, like, if I'm, if I'm playing in public, uh, as opposed to just one-on-one in the bedroom or something like that, I don't know if maybe you have this experience as well, uh, if, if something that's a little difficult for me is happening private, mm-hmm. Uh, I will focus on something else about her or or like needles. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a huge fan of needles, but we do it every now mm-hmm. and again. And I'll kind of d- direct my attention elsewhere to get through it, right? That's private. Mm-hmm. In a public scene, I almost have to focus more on her mm-hmm. because that blocks everybody else out that way. Right. And so I forget all about it. And I find that there's a different type of deepness. Mm-hmm. It's not better or worse, it's just mm-hmm. a different kind of deepness because I'm, I'm more focused on her when she's doing that type of thing. Yeah. Do you find it different as well or, or is it pretty much... Are you yeah. used to doing both that it's it's no real... No, I, I think that... And, and to me that's the one of the things that's really interesting about it and why I why I want to come back to it. Um, and what you're saying makes me think about um, you know, that everybody who if you're going to eat, you have, if you're going to eat, you have to cook Mm -hmm. thing plays out when it's the right kind of event, even though everybody's doing very different things, there can become a kind of energy in the room of everybody's scenes kind of feeding each other. And there becomes like this thing of like, anywhere you look is kind of a great place to look because somebody's doing, you know, whatever it might be to, um, to, uh, you know, reside within their pleasure. Yeah. When it's kind of, a you know, kind of wonky event or wonky space, then it becomes like, Oh, you know, half of the people who are here are kind of soaking up the energy from the people who are really kind of doing something. And, uh, then, then I really get into that, like, Oh, I don't want to like, drift, you know, drift into the energy sink over there. The energy sink. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And it's, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting thing because I am so heady. Mm -hmm. I'm so, I'm, I'm, I'm usually so focused on my brain and very, very skeptical of, you know, the sort of what people call like the woo woo side of it. Um, but 
I think this is the way that I'm kind of backing into it. And I'm backing into it from a very kind of social contract sense. Like these issues about who's an audience, who's a participant, what are the possibilities for how do those roles reinforce um, the the negative things about our, our society currently yeah. and how can we shift those roles to change the negative things about our society and that's the thing that's very interesting to me and I think that that in part was this project that got taken up in the in the late 50s and early 60s and then got abandoned yeah and why do you think it got abandoned um I think that it got kind of commercialized mm. and I think that in a way it doesn't really scale. Like I think you can't, um, that, that, that to transform a society, you have to do it in smaller groups. Yeah, it, it ha- yeah, because that's where things really matter to people. I mean, oh yeah, yes, it's the same thing. Like, like if uh, you, if you have a senator or a or a Baptist minister, I was reading a story about a Baptist minister recently whose uh, son came out to him later and, and mm-hmm. got AIDS and he was he was dying. And the Baptist minister went from being how you would stereotypically think to how you would stereotypically think as as a as a father who loved his son, mm-hmm. you know. And it happens every single time. Yeah. Every oh, except for some really huge assholes, right? Yeah. Dick Cheney is another prime example, right. right? And it's because you're affecting the person one on one, and when it actually happens to a friend or a family member, then they care, right? right? But that's maybe just human nature, jealousy, or or selfishness. Well, no, I think that it's that you know the 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 products. I mean. It, the best case for progressive politics would be to say that people, when we treat people as abstractions, we get into trouble. Yeah. When we ask people to be representations of something, we get into trouble because then we're making a generalization that does not correspond to our individual experience yeah, of that yeah. person. And that's the thing that allows us to say like, oh, yeah, all Asians are this, you know, because we come up with this sort of abstract category and then we apply it. Yeah. And um, and yet, you know, our emotional responses are really based in the particular. Yeah. And... Yes, yeah, absolutely. You know, and so how do... um, How do uh, really cultivate that and allow people to see each other past the abstractions is the the real question of politics i was going to bring up a different subject but we're kind of on this now mm-hmm. and I'm, one thing i was thinking about the other day th- this political season is one of the first well it's the first that i know of where the far right is is kind of staying away from the subject of gay marriage Mm-hmm. Because they know it's it's actually more popular now than it's ever been, yeah. And it's and their views on it that they've always been hammering away at are mm-hmm. actually in the minority now. Mm-hmm. So it'll help them. I'm sure they'll be pushing tons of ads for it in some very very red parts of, which mm-hmm. they're going to win anyway, right? Uh, but it's really when it comes down to, uh, is it? I'm watching it like wow, it's now, it's now unpop, it's officially unpopular, yeah. Yeah. And that's just such a good feeling, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, well they will go they'll go state by state. And yeah. and and basically I think at this point the idea is you know, try to get it written into the state constitution um and then uh wait, you know, clog up the courts with enough of those cases that you know, it never really makes it to the Supreme Court. Yeah. And and I think that's kind of the that's kind of the strategy at this point. But um, yeah, again, you know, it's this thing where, I mean, we've seen this before, and I don't know if I said this the last time that I was on, but, you know, my dad is black, 
when I was born in 1960, my parents' marriage was illegal in mm-hmm. 21 states. Yeah. You know, um, it's, you know, we will be at a point where that, piece, you know, the piece of news about gay marriage was will be as yeah. incredible as as it was about, about interracial marriage. I was very frustrated at the fact that, um, well, to go back to why did this, why did this uh, idea get sidelined? Yeah. Um, there was a moment in gay liberation and and a moment in gay leather culture that was all about um, challenging societal structures, challenging um, the way that things, the the way that American society was completely organized, um, and the initial sexual liberation movement was based around the idea that you know patriarchy and capitalism grew out of a really vexed relationship with one's physical body and sexual pleasure. And part of the reason why that argument got sidelined is that there was a sort of assimilationist argument that was like, no, 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 this is about civil rights. We can't help being gay, so we should have equal access to all of the rights that anybody else has in society. And... um, you know, yes, that's true, but at the same time, um, that's arguing from a position of we're the same as everyone else, not we're different, yeah. and difference should be, um, uh, you know, enjoyed and loved. Well, or, or, or even take it one step further or one step back, I don't know, mm-hmm. and to say that, uh, no, we're different, but so is everybody else. Right. Right. You know. Exactly. And um and and that's you know, so so those strains within the the gay political movement have really for the most part been silenced in favor of this like we just wanna have families, we just wanna get married, we don't wanna you know, we wanna have the same benefits on our mortgage. Yeah. You know, the queers who were saying like, you know, abolish you know, abolish um, personal property, you know, but like come up with new ways of organizing the world. Yeah. For the most part, you know, they're, uh, they're, you know, sort of the radical fairies, um, those sort of enclaves of lesbian separatists that are still around, you know, there's, there's still some radicals out there, but a lot of that legacy has been lost. Was there anything else about the art show that you wanted to talk about? Um, just that it's this really participatory thing. I'm trying to bring together um, uh, kink stuff and uh, and art world stuff, primarily because, uh, for one thing, it's always happened in my work. There's always there's always been a lot of of um, those things in conjunction. But also, I think that there's a lot that the art world can learn from the kink world. Let's talk about some of the stuff you teach. You, you said sure. you were recently in Floating World. Yeah, and you taught. Three classes in one day. Yeah, because which was a, a an interesting experiment. Um, I mean, that's kind of the schedule they presented me with, and uh, um, but it ended up actually working out really well. I taught um, my notes of a reluctant daddy class, which is an age play class, um, looking at age play from the perspective of the big. Well, let's go through them. Let's, the let's, let's go through them one by one, if you don't mind. Sure. So, the notion of reluctant daddy. Mm-hmm. I've actually seen you uh, mention this before. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what a great name for a title! What, <laughs> how, how did this come about? Well, it came about because um, I uh, was, and to some extent, still am a reluctant daddy. I was. I was playing with someone who. Um, wanted to do edge play. Wanted me to be, wanted me to be their daddy, and I had um, a difficult time getting there. And so, it made me sort of, uh, you know, I went to a few other age play classes, and I noticed that almost um, across the board, they were taught from the viewpoint of the little, mm-hmm. and it was all about like, oh, well, what is it like to be little, and you know, why do we do it? What is it about? You know, there wasn't much discussion about about the bigs, and so yeah. I thought, like, okay, 
for me, the best way to explore something is to kind of teach about it. Um, and so it really grew out of my experience and is really about helping people think about age play in general and, and think about role play relationships. I give people some tools for how to um, uh, really uh, construct a role um, and what that's useful for. Um, and also it's about, you know, teaching the littles that, that they have a responsibility in the relationship and how that, um, and, and how that all goes, you know? So as someone who's reluctant, I mean, how did you get over it? Um, I, I got over it by, um, figuring out those places that were difficult for me. Um, so one place was the word daddy. Um, and that had a lot of different meanings. Yeah. And, um, so uh, for, in some circumstances, it was much easier for me to take on the role uh, to, to be uncle. Yeah. You know, to, to have, um, to really have a, a different identification. Um, and then in other places, it was um, particular kinds of activities. One of the things that I do in the class when, uh, when we start is I have the people in attendance list all of the words that they associate with being little. Mm -hmm. And then I have them list all of the words that they associate with being big. And inevitably, the list for littles is like playful, innocent, um, joyous, irresponsible, you know, curious, blah, 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 blah. Right. The big list is always like responsible, grounding, nurturing, or, you know, um, and we go doing you know, all the work. We build those two lists, and I'm like, okay, so you have an hour to have like a fun, you, you know, you have an hour to have like a play scene with your partner. Which one of these two <laughs> is the one that you're gonna pick? <laughs> right. You know. Yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Sure. And so, so of course, that really brings it home that like, you know, I'm a person who does a lot of nurturing throughout my life. And we started off talking about how I'm working with this nonprofit arts organization. You know, that's like, I'm not interested in mentoring somebody as part of my kink. Yeah. Like that's not hot for me. Yeah. Being responsible is not hot for me. Yeah. You know, Ooh, you so, pay the bills on time. That's yeah, so yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's like, mm, <laughs> that's really good. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm constantly giving people advice and talking, you know, and yeah. talking to them. And so, um, so if I'm going to be the big in the scenario, I have to find a way to be a big that isn't involved with nurturing. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. Um, and, and may not be, you know, topping you know, things like that. Sure. So it's, you know, the class as a whole is really about helping people shake up their thinking about these categories and realize that they have the power to construct whatever version of that type of play they want to. Yeah. Um, that they don't have to just follow with the assumptions of it. There's, there are a lot of people who feel like they have to conform to some sort of idea of what they're presented with, right? Well, and a lot of people who seek out role-playing as a way of not having to worry about what they're going to do next. Like, yeah, I true. see a lot of, like, you know, leather, daddy-boy relationships or um, in the pan community, the sort of the daddy-little-girl, you know, baby-girl relationship mm -hmm. that um, not for everyone who engages in those relationships, but for a sizable number of people, that's about having something that they can do that means that they don't have to examine their identity. Yeah. They have they have a role that they can just slide into and they don't have to think about what they're doing from point A to point B. Um, it's the same with people who, you know, have uh, a, a very particular idea of like what a master-slave relationship is and they get like they, you know, one slave leaves them and they get the next slave and the next slave is supposed to do exactly what the previous slave did. Yeah. And it's like, well, that again, it's treating people like abstractions. Yeah. And it will only, you know, 
it it works on an interpersonal level up to a point. Um, you mean like for a very casual play that yeah, but but my personal feeling is that over the long run, the only way that that can be the only way that you can maintain a relationship where the people are treated as abstractions is through violence, and that's that's what causes state violence, yeah. and that's what causes um, you know interpersonal violence. Yeah. What uh, what was your second class? Uh, male chastity, caged heat, male chastity. <laughs> That's the name of a movie. It is the name. I believe the tagline was "Caged Heat." What these women did to get into prison is nothing compared to what they're willing to do to get out. Out. Yes. Well, I swiped it for for in order to talk about male chastity. <laughs> and it's sad that I knew the tagline. No, no, no. Oh, that yeah. is excellent that you knew the tagline. <laughs> I feel cuz particularly when we talk about the third class. Okay, okay. Well, let's talk well, but let's talk about let's the second about class. The second um that I mean uh, there are several different types of male chastity. Yeah. Are you to talk about one with a physical device? I cover the whole thing. Yeah. I mean uh, and again it's something that comes out of my personal experience. It was really this um, you know, I, I had what I refer to as the, the Zoolander moment when I, you know, was walking around and everybody was like, people, everywhere I went, there seemed to be these discussions about chastity. And so it was like, oh, male chastity. It's so hot right now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I was looking at Google Trends and it's yeah. way up there. Male chastity. Oh, all over it. Oh, it, it is. But it. I know what you mean. That there, there, there was a time very not too long ago where it was every forum I'd look on, it was like locked away for four four months, and I've yeah. never. And to me, that sounded horrible. Yeah. But I mean, I have a different type of chastity. There's no device or anything like that. But I do have to ask for permission to, you know, something like that. Exactly. But uh, so you have a chastity I, relationship? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, so you said, oh, it's the real, so hot right now. It's the it's so hot right now. <laughs> so let's start teaching about it. What? So how did, tell, tell what what do you work through? What is it? Um, well, I talk about you know the various reasons why somebody might want to do it. I talk about various kinds of devices that are, that are out there. I talk about the safety issues. I talk about the, you know the, um, I talk about sort of the anatomy of a chastity scene, and I talk about the resources that are out there. I mean there are there there's more and more attention on the on the web about it, um, and one of the things I think that's really interesting is that it seems to be something that's equally um, big in uh, the pan community and in the gay male community. Mm. There's a lot of gay men who are, who are into chastity. And it's one of these interesting places of crossover where um, one of the sites that uh, is, is one of the most popular sites is um, Locked M4M. Um, and it's basically a gay male chastity site hmm. but there are uh they have a system set up where people can be um looking for people to lock up and looking for key holders and there's a lot of guys who identify as straight on the site but don't have a problem with a gay man or for sometimes it's hot for them to have a gay man hold the key yeah i years ago i was very curious about it um mm -hmm. And I was, and I, there was a website where you could send someone the key, and they would hold on to it for you or whatever. And there was another website where you had to pay like three hundred dollars, and they'd send you a box, right? And then they'd give you the they'd only give you the code after a predetermined amount of time or yeah. something like that. Um, I did find it fascinating, but I never actually went mm -hmm. through with it. You, you mentioned safety. What are some safety concerns? I mean, obviously, other than hygiene and stuff like that. Um, you know the. Uh if you're using a device, it's, it's you need to follow the first rule of bondage, and and do you know what the first rule of bondage is? Uh, I'm sure I, now I've got like 78 rules popping in my head right now. <laughs> don't choke yourself. I, I don't know. I'm trying to think. What's the first? The first rule of bondage is never get into any bondage that you don't know the way out of. Oh yeah. Okay. Sure. You have like don't ever get into any bondage that you don't have the escape plan sure. from, which doesn't mean that you are going to actively try to escape from any bondage, but you have to know how you're going to get out beforehand. And it may not feel as hot 
but you have to know it. You go to you um, if you're using a locking device, you have to know where the second, you know, if you're giving somebody a key, you have to know where the second key is, and probably it should be on your person, even though that may not feel as exciting for you. Um, but don't be an idiot. Yeah, you know. So things like that, which are, um, you know, the fact is that, you know, cocks are wacky things and they are changing size and shape from moment to moment. Basically, during the course of the day, your dick is constantly changing shape. And so finding a device that fits is going to be tricky and you're probably going to have to do some shopping around. Um, There are devices that look super hot um uh i have i have this other acronym that i'm trying to promote in the scene and if let me see if i can remember it it's um h f t p n f t s h f t p n f t s Hot for the person, not for the salamander. Close. Okay. Hot for the picture, not for the scene. I was so close. <laughs> you were really, really close. No, but that's a great. That's a great. That's a great acronym. Hot for the picture, not for the scene. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a lot of stuff out there. You know. I mean, you you're talking about stuff on kink.com. There's a ton of stuff on that site that's super hot for the picture. Yeah. But, you know, if you spend two seconds in that posture, you're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> like the yeah. idea that you're going to be locked up like that for, you know. So a lot of chastity devices, super hot for the picture, but actually wearing them for a prolonged period of time, not so much fun. Can you give an example of the one of the um, You know, you really have to look at how a device is built so anytime there's like a hinge you know that's something that could pinch all of that loose skin that's around you know um it's it's very easy for things to chafe you know um so you you know i i bought a device off of ebay that was this sort of cage device that looked really really great but it had these moving parts and you know each one of those moving parts meant that skin could get caught in it and pulled as you walk down the street and one does tend to walk and stand (laughs) up and sit down and you know as one one would want yeah (laughs) during the course of the day (laughs) you know Um, well there's your problem yeah exactly yeah and that's the thing that's why it's hot for the photo the photo right. doesn't move <laughs> right, 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 exactly. that's amazing but so things like that you know safety um it, you know and some of it is just sort of standard bondage common sense but some of it is also really taking a look at the device that, you, that you're going to use i've heard some people say that after x amount of time and it's you know, this time is X is very different from person to person. Mm-hmm. After X amount of time, they go from being uh, really horny to not even thinking about sex. It Again, it depends. I found that it depends on the type of device that you're wearing and very much varies from person to person. Um, there are some devices that don't allow you to get hard at all. Yeah. And those devices tend to get somebody to that mindset where it's just like, okay, it's not even an issue. Like yeah. I'm not even going, I, I can't even start to get an erection. So it, it just stops yeah. being there. The other devices that allow you to get sort of hard, but don't allow you to, to get off. Um, it tends to be much more of that, like, you know, because, because uh, guys are idiots. I mean, and I, you know, I talked about this in the things. class. Guys, yeah. You know, if, Really, if you're wearing something and there's the possibility that maybe if you wedge a chopstick in there, you could sort of get enough friction on one part of it that maybe you'd actually be able to get off. 
guys will do that. Like, <laughs> like Doctor, I've, I have no idea how I got bamboo slip, <laughs> splinters all over my yeah, cheek. Yeah, I mean, admit it, right? Like Probably, you, yeah. yeah, yes, yeah. Like, like, you know, you just... It seemed plausible. <laughs> the it was a good idea at the time. <laughs> yeah. But, so, you know, those devices, it tends to be more about, like, people who like to fight against their bondage. Yeah. You know, like, a lot of guys like to wear devices and then watch porn yeah. and sort of edge themselves like get like get as close as they you know they know that they're not really going to be able to come but but like right get as close as well I remember reading a blog from someone it was a chastity blog at some mm-hmm. time, and um, it was with his wife and she he was always kinky and she became uh, she was like oh okay and she you know went along with it mm-hmm. but um, eventually became so the norm for him that he he had he lost all interest in sex. Mm-hmm. He would still please her in other ways mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But um, what it started out as being hot for her because for her she liked the fact that he was really horny right. and couldn't Raging do anything about it. But when he was no longer horny, it was no longer fun for her, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because then she she wasn't in control of right. anything. He was just go along with whatever. Right. There was no fighting. I guess I don't know what. Mm-hmm. And that would seem to be like that, that's sort of like the even though he was. More than happy to not be horny, he just right, loved being right. in the cage. Um, does that come up often? Is that a, a common thing, or I think it really—it's something that really varies from person to yeah. person. And I mean, it's like anything—you know, any sort of a DS relationship. You know, people change, mm-hmm. and and what something means for them one year is not necessarily what it's going to mean for them the next year. You know, and you see that in couples where it's like. I can't wear the collar, you know, or I have to, you know, it, it, it's like, if I'm not wearing the collar, it's like this whole other thing yeah. that comes into play. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it is a tool to explore your sexuality like any other. So. It seems to be also a, a great deal, especially on like on the forums and stuff. Uh, it's sort of like a bragging thing when it comes to duration. Yeah. And, uh, it's sort of like, Oh, seven years, you know, something. Yeah. 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 Uh, is that is that pretty common? Is it just the the ones I've been reading, or is you the know, bragging? There, you know, there's the co- I'm sure you remember the concept of AOL inches. That was always a big, you know, a, a, our big joke around the around the gay scene was like, well, are those actual inches or AOL inches? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's the, something went in the conversion rate. Yeah, it in a, yeah. So um, it's eight like inches. The, so it's like the same two. thing with years. Right. You know, people. I mean, you know, there you are. You're an anonymous voice online. You can. You can make up as much time as you want. Yeah. The thing that I like about about chastity is that um, time becomes the universal currency. So whatever you want the person to do, you know, right? It's you know, or whatever behavior needs to be corrected or modified yeah. can be translated into days. It's all that all totally works. I've also heard, and, and this might be one of those. This, I'll, I'll give you the I'll give you the factoid. I'll put that in quotes. Mm-hmm. The factoid, and then I'll give you my reason why I think that might be true or false mm-hmm. uh, that it's not healthy for the prostate to be in long term chastity without some sort of release mm-hmm. um, the reason why I think that's valid is because they've shown many times that someone who ejaculates multiple times a week mm-hmm. has a less likelihood of having prostate cancer Right. Mm-hmm. the other side of that is, is it makes me think there's some guy who just wanted to get his prostate rubbed mm-hmm. and you just use this well actually there's a study not peer reviewed I'm not going to say uh, I had the link I lost it but if you could milk me now that'd be, you know what I'm saying yeah do, do, do we have any science I I could not update you on the yeah. science on it you know I and I think that the odds are that we will probably see some science soon I mean you know I think one of the things that's happened with chastity is that We've had a boom in the technology, and suddenly we were in that sort of user technology feedback loop. Right. There's um, the the de- the design of devices changed, and that meant that more people were interested in them and started buying devices, and thus more devices started to get made, and yeah. more designs started to get made, and so there are more people doing it and talking about it. I think prior to that. 
who knows where you would get your study group from. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, well, you could also study people who just haven't ejaculated in their yeah. time, too. Well, so what... Um, I generally think, I mean, for the for most of the purposes that people are talking about engaging in it, um, I would be really surprised if there was a, a health problem. You're talking like it's you know, people doing it for months and months. And that's, yeah, I mean, how many people are uh, how many people are even going to do it for a month? Yeah, out of the population. Yeah, you know, I mean, I know guys who have gone like three months. I know guys who claim to have gone for years, but there's so much in the minority of like the number of guys that I've that I've you know talked to about it. Yeah, that it makes me think. You know, most people are probably going to do, you know, a weekend, a couple of weeks, maybe at the most, or something like that. So so what happens stereotypically, and obviously it's different from person to person, but what happens stereotypically, like, let's say if someone's going to go for two months or something like that, mm-hmm. and they go into it knowing it's going to be two months or whatever. Mm-hmm. If In my mind, I'm thinking, okay, what would happen to me if I was no, if I just had no outlet for it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I'd still, I'm sure I'd still have to, I would have to, that sounds like it's an obligation. So I'm, sure, I'm sure I'd still be doing plenty of things to take care of Saad's needs. But mm-hmm. I would imagine several things would happen. Number one, I'd probably get a lot more done, maybe around the house, I don't know, mm-hmm. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. i also probably be a lot more buff because I'd have to have somewhere to put that energy and I'd mm-hmm. probably be doing a lot more mm-hmm. sit-ups and push-ups. Mm-hmm. Am I right in that for stereotype or is it just one of those things that... It, it could be that, but... Um, you could also find yourself a lot more distracted. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are times when I've done it where it's sort of like, oh, everything looks kind of good. <laughs> Those are some sexy dust mode. <laughs> you know? Um, That's signpost. Uh, yeah. yeah. Good, right? If only it didn't dress so provocatively. <laughs> um, so... You know, one of the other things that people use it for is actually to train other erogenous zones in your body. Oh, yeah, I suppose. You know, and and I and one of the things I say in the class is that um, actually one of the things that it can be really helpful with is if you're a person who experiences performance anxiety, chastity can actually be um, really helpful. Because you don't have to worry about it. Because the idea of like taking that off the table and still you're going to, you know, you're getting the other person off, Mm -hmm. um, you know, with your hands or your mouth or whatever it's going to be, that can be really reassuring. Yeah. Um, In the same way that some people find certain types of bondage really comforting because it's like it reduces your options. You don't have to worry about like driving the scene or doing anything like that because you can't. Right. so, you know, it's one thing that a, a lot of people do or a lot of guys do is, um, you know, it trains them to pay attention to their ass. So like do you know, or their nipples, yeah. like doing like sort of ass and nipple play while being locked up. Sure. And you have that added drive of being really horny, but then you're, you're sort of rewiring the pleasure receptors that you're paying attention to. Oh, yeah. Totally. Anything else on chastity that we didn't cover? No, I think it's... And your third topic was? Uh, was cruising. And and the class is called Hips or Lips. How to <laughs> cruise like you mean it. <laughs> and do you know where that's from? I do not. I'm sorry. Hey, I listen, I knocked that out of the park with... Uh, with caged heat. Caged so that's, mechanic- that's why I'm... So, um, Hips or Lips is from the movie Cruising. Okay. Um, which, if you haven't seen, you have to see. Adding it to the list. It is bananas to use what's the Rachel Zoe? Is that where that comes yeah, from? Yeah. The Rachel Zoe project. Um, a really controversial film um, uh, from 1981. Uh, but, uh, you know, gets so much wrong about the gay leather world at the time. Um, 
but in and of itself, like kind of seen on its own as a sort of 1970s movie, mm-hmm. um, is amazing to watch. Um, so anyway, this is sort of the uh, gay male cruising for people who aren't gay men class. It's a it's a, a a class that explains what cruising is, which is essentially a system of nonverbal negotiation that was developed out of a circumstance where if you were verbal, you could get assaulted, you could get arrested, right. you could get, you know, I mean, all those things that we talked about at the be- at the, in the beginning of our discussion, mm-hmm. where um, if you were too declarative, um, it could really rebound on you. And so um, what came up out of that was a way for men to indicate interest to each other um, uh, that gave them a decent escape route and got, you know, um, it was, became this be, device. And so looking at what it is... What you're looking for was easily hidden in being friendly or something. Yes. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so knowing how to do that or talking about what that actually is uh, sort of opens up a discussion about how um, people in other circumstances might make use of, them, of some of those techniques. Mm-hmm. And, and the larger discussion around that is the, is the ways that we are socialized to behave in, um, you know, in, uh, across different class lines, across gender lines. Um, and so in some ways this is kind of romanticism about cruising um, but, uh, you know, it's also about understanding certain kinds of social norms and being willing to transgress them. Um, and, uh, and it requires different kinds of courage for different kinds of people, mm-hmm. you know, um, a big part of cruising is being able to, um, catch somebody's eye and then return their look and sort of be able to hold that look. Um, that's something that, that women in our society are trained not to do. Right. Yeah. Um, because it could, you know, lead to, um, really violent consequences. So that's one of the things that we kind of talk about in it. You know, um, I kind of break down what's sort of, uh, I guess, for lack of a better word, the classic cruise. And I should bracket all this by saying it's hilarious that I'm, you know, I teach this class because I'm asked to teach it. Yeah. Um, I am by no means any sort of authority or master at cruising. <laughs> Generally, I'm terrible at it. Like when I tell my gay male friends that I teach this class, they crack up because I'm so bad at it. Right. But but the worst. But gay I'm male overly is probably a lot better than the best. <laughs> well, yes. Hero, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's about understanding how social space works. And, um, and, and one of the interesting things that happened in the, in the class this time around is that, um, there are, you know, cruising really developed out of a particular background at a particular time. And we've actually made a lot of progress and that's kind of good. And one of the things that I said is that if you imagine a kind of graph where on one axis is the complexity and risk of the sexual activity you want to engage in. Mm -hmm. And on the other axis is the amount of time that you need to negotiate, right? The amount of discussion that you need to have. Yeah. Um, You know, cruising works because uh, indicating to someone that you want to blow them is, or that you want to get blown is pretty low on that axis. Yeah. You know, indicating to someone that you want them to tie you up and, you know, you know, 
play the hallelujah chorus on your tonsils is like that requires a longer discussion right? and a more intense negotiation. Right, right. <laughs> so cruising probably isn't going to work for that. Right, right. <laughs> Especially if it's something as complicated as the hallelujah chorus. Yes, right? exactly. And I, when you mentioned uh, women not returning or not having that gaze back, Flashback to a few times, you know, when it's happened to me where women have actually done that. Mm -hmm. And what a shock to my system it was. Yeah. For several reasons. It's like, you know, the first reaction is, me? This? Right. Where? Where? Yeah. Me? Where? Or, you know, is she drunk right now? You know, what? I mean, all these different things. It's really surprising. And and at the same time, instantly attractive. Yeah. Right? I'm sure it's the same for any gender, right? If someone gets that, if they're open to it. Yeah. Um, but that's but but that's the thing that's how out of whack that feels yeah. is the indication of how intense the conditioning is on the other end yeah you know um, and so that's you know that's the thing that that uh, needs to be overcome one of the things that that uh, one of the things that came out of teaching the class this time is that um, and my feeling is to a certain extent you can't make this kind of negotiation completely safe yeah it's it's um it requires some uh basically what you're doing in any negotiation is you're establishing and uh, you're establishing trust yeah yeah and um there are certain kinds of trust that you know that that are uh, that just can't be established that quickly. Also, you know, when we're talking about um, this period of the 60s and 70s, there is a real romance about um, the danger of it. Yeah. You know, that there's the potential for danger. And, and the movie Cruising is very much about that. It's well, about the hysteria around like, oh my God, there's like gay men out fucking around all over the place. And that's like murder. Right. You know? right. Well, it, there's also, and I, I, I might be completely wrong in here, but it, in the gay male scene, when the time in the, the documentary came out too, even though you don't have a lot of try, time to build trust, there is an underlying unsaid thing of almost, hey, look, we're both into this. Right. Sort of mutually assured destruction. If you screw this up, I screw this up, and we're both out or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you both have to be kind of going along together and be yeah. safe about it or whatever, yeah, and for it to work, yeah, um, yeah, that in order to, um, you know, to some extent, both people had to be revealing of themselves, yeah, you know, to to actually make it happen. Another thing about when it comes to cruising that I was really amazed by was I was reading about uh, an app called Grinder. Sure. And I, I might be completely wrong on this, but it's basically it's it's sex. It's a sex radar. You put your profile in, and it shows you the other people who are around you. Which some might argue, hey, there are tons of dating apps, but this isn't specifically yeah. for dating, right? This is no, just. No. I, I I don't use Grinder. I okay. use I use uh, Growler and Scruff, which are sort of like the. The bear version. Okay, okay. I see now that is niche version. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. There is. I mean, yeah. Grinders to Twinkie, but anyway, <laughs> there's. Um, yeah, and and. <laughs> sorry, and I'm sorry. literally the criticism. I'm sorry. Grinder is to Twinkie. Yes. That's I've never heard that. Right? That's hilarious. <laughs> it's so Twinkie. Yeah. That's all right. I'm yeah. sorry. Go on. Too then. many Twinks. <laughs> um. So. Uh. Yeah, it's they're basically like applications on your that you that use the GPS function of your phone to show you who else has profiles on the site, and they will break it down by distance mm-hmm. from you. Right. It allows you to send messages to people. Um, uh, so it's it's it basically uses like the check-in function of Foursquare. Or the or or apps like that to let you know where other gay men are around you. This might be too personal. I don't know. Does it work for you? Uh, it has worked. 
I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering yeah. how that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's the thing. Okay. Walking. Uh, okay. I'm trying to get my head wrapped around this just as a non-gender specific. Right. right. Let's say. Let's say. Uh, what did you say? Growler. Growler. Okay. Say. Let's say. Let's say Growler was for anybody. Yeah. Which it technically it probably is, but you know. Yeah. Let's say I'm 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 a single guy mm-hmm. walking down the street, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, here's Betsy. She's four blocks away from me, looking to blow someone. I'm gonna go get blown. Is that how how it works? Yeah. It's all dudes. Yeah. Holy balls! That's crazy. And it's just like that. Well, you would you would check in, like say you were you were at the Starbucks on you're laughing such at and me, such. By the way, I would say you're... no, 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 no. So say you're at the Starbucks on. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I what? You know, it's like the thing that I said with the chopsticks. It's like guys, they <laughs> they will do anything. But you know the fact that you're surprised by this. Come on, no, no, guys will do. It's not, okay. it's not that I'm surprised by it. It's the fact that it works so fucking well that amazes me. Yeah. Um. Well, and I got something to say about that later on. But, um, but, but the way that it works is that like you have to check in. It's not like the. It's not like the proximity detector in Aliens, right? right, right? right it's right. not like 30 meters, 40 meters, 40 meters. <laughs> They're right on top of us, man. They're right in the fucking room. Game over, You're not man. reading it right. Game You're over. not reading it right. They're right here. It's something we didn't check in the plans. No, it's not but, like that. But the point but is, it's like, you check in at Starbucks. You check in at Starbucks. Someone else said, hey. And then you go, and then you, you click on the, I mean, I could get my phone out and show you. Um, if you want, I can show you who is around your neighborhood. <laughs> who's oh, who's on Scrum. Exactly. Um, so you check, and uh, it shows you a, a list of people who are, uh, like, it may say um, 390 feet away. Yeah. You know, um, 1.2 miles away, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Sure. Um and then you can message that person. You can you can send them pictures. You can you know, it's, you can hook up. But now, now I I said it, it works so well, and you said, "Wow, it's debatable if it works so well." Well, think about it this way: like, there you are. You just checked in, Joe Schmo, the guy who's been hitting on you for, you know, fifteen years as you've been around. Right. Right. That. That lonely Massacast fan. <laughs> and don't think they aren't out there. Right. Lulled by the sound of your voice. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or like, uh, you know, I, I know he's just, he's just the, just one guy away from turning. <laughs> there he is. He sees you on ground and he's like, oh, hey. Right. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So, do you really want that guy to know exactly where you are oh, all I see the time? What you're oh. And this is the reason why, like, FetLife has an app for Android. Yeah. Um, there's a very specific reason why that app does not have location-based search on no, it. No, yeah, yeah. And there's a reason why FetLife as a site does not allow location-based search. Yeah. If they did that, there would be a huge departure of women from their site yeah that's true um and and we see there's some i can't even remember what the social network app there was some it wasn't like attached to okcupid but it was attached to something else and there was it sort of allowed for a a, something similar to grinder and there was a lot of anxiety around it because women on the site like did not feel safe yeah Again, the show is in San Francisco. Do you know the dates yet? Uh, it will open on October 12th, and I believe it runs through January 15th. And you've got a Tumblr blog as well. Yes, it's we'll called... We'll have the link up as well, but yeah, it's called... Yeah, it's called... Um, well, it, it's the show is called Free Love Toolbox. The Tumblr is um, free, uh, the numeral one love the numeral one tool the numeral one box um dot tumblr.com 
I'm uh, I'm looking at it right now. There's some there's some really cool images. There are some for me disturbing images, uh-huh. which by the way are the ones exactly the same ones that Saad wanted me to send to her. Oh, you got to send me that. I'm like that's really disturbing. Like the the guys with the pig face. I can't remember which one it was. Uh-huh, but I'm uh-huh. like, oh god, that's disturbing. Because <laughs> it was just sort of slightly gruesome yeah. as well. And and of course, Saad was like, you got to send me that image right now. It's going to show that she's the yin to my yang. <laughs> but there's so many really cool, so funny. The yeah. guy with the banjo and the, uh-huh. the singing hit. Yeah. We'll put the link up on the. Uh, cool. On the it's well. it's really the place where I'm putting images of stuff that are inspiring to me that are inspiring to me links to various discussions about about queer issues or sexual liberation issues and um uh some sketches for the artwork that I'm making for the show so it's a it's it's really a mix of everything it's one of the things that I love about Tumblr is that it's um a really great forum for just bringing a lot of different stuff together right so anything you wanted to talk about we haven't talked about? No, I think I, I think it's been really great. I hope you're willing to come back again. I'm totally willing to come You've back got an again. Open door, and I'm willing to answer questions. Absolutely. If 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 people if people have if questions, you, if you want to ask an aging homo something, <laughs> but technically they all are. <laughs> We're all aging. Or, or an aging hetero. <laughs> uh, if you want to ask, a, if you want to ask a queer something. <laughs> Send it on in. <laughs> we, could, we, could have, we could have a thing be, be sitting in for Mistress Alex who's on on the assignment. That would be great. That would be great. Sure. Uh, I cannot thank you enough for doing this again. Sure. And, and pro- maybe we should make this at least every six months. If we get questions, we can have questions and answers. And I will. Be- I'm totally willing to do it. Thank you again to Nayland, and uh, we've got a link to his, uh, he's got a Tumblr blog with some great art that really inspires him. Also on the uh, on his show page, if you go to Mastercast.com and then click on the episode about Nayland, you'll see an extra bonus download. If you click a little link, you can download a little segment where Nayland was talking about what the art world can learn from the kink world. It's very cool, and I wanted to uh, let people download that as well, so... Again, thank you to everyone who's donated. Mastercast.com forward slash donate. And we will see you later. Bye-bye.